Welcome to The Real Photo Show, sponsored by the School of Visual Arts, MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program, chaired by Charles Traub. Today, my guest is Michael Joseph, and he was in town for his solo exhibition, Lost and Found, at Daniel Cooney Fine Art. Uh, and he's going to share some amazing stories about how the traveler's work took shape and the connections he made along the way. Uh, we'll spend a good amount of time talking about one of the more well-known travelers, Knuckles, and how Knuckles' own journey gave Michael a deeper understanding of who the travelers are. So if you don't know Michael Joseph, his work Lost and Found has been featured on Vice.com and CNN.com, and he has been exhibited nationally, most recently at the aforementioned Daniel Cooney Fine Art Gallery uh, and at the Aperture Gallery. He's also lectured for Amy Arbus at the International Center of Photography in portraiture classes at the New England School of Photography in Boston, and he's taught at the Light Factory. Towards the end of the episode, we talk about a new project that Michael had started using a very funny Polaroid camera, and he just launched an Instagram account with some of those photos. So I, I called Michael to see, you know, what was going on with that so he could talk about it a little bit, and he's on the line now. Hi, Michael. Hi, how are you? All right. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was looking at your Instagram account, and I noticed a new Instagram account. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So about... Um... A year ago, I started to fool around with some Polaroid pack film, which, um, as you may or may not know, is expired. You can't really get it um, anymore. But I was drawn to a specific camera called the Big Shot, which is a Polaroid camera, and of course, it used pack film. So yeah, we we talk about that camera at the uh, at the end of the episode. Yeah, exactly. So I was able to hoard a bunch of pack film, and uh, the that particular camera just seemed right for the location that I was shooting in, which is Provincetown, Massachusetts. And, you know, that town is not only um, a vacation spot for many people, but it's very lively, very colorful, um, and there's a lot of energy to it. So while I always do close-up portraiture, I wanted to do the same thing on the street with all of the different types of characters you would see walking up and down the street. And now for, for, People who don't know the history of Provincetown, it's technically where the pilgrims landed. Hmm. And then there was a large Portuguese population. And then artists started to colonize the area uh, with many famous authors, um, one of them being Tennessee Williams. I believe they do have a festival there for him every year. Hmm. Um, and then uh, Norman Mailer. Norman Mailer would spend his summers in Provincetown, but also then go back to Brooklyn um, and he owned a, a home there with his wife, and uh, he wrote a vast majority of his books and/or writings with, you know, while he was in, in Provincetown. So um, had a great kind of artist community sensibility to it. So then the the photos you're sharing, how is that all related? So it's related because I was happened to be walking down Commercial Street and I was um, working on this project, just trying to feel out something new and. I passed by a bookstore and there was a very, very thin book. And the thin book was called Norman Mailer's Provincetown. But underneath that, it said the Wild West of the East. And I thought that's kind of odd. And so I picked it up um, out of the bookstore and I read it in about 15 minutes. <laughs> and uh, Provincetown, after it, the Portuguese settled there or the pilgrims settled there and the Portuguese settled there and it was a fishing town, you know, and then an artist colony, it became basically a place where a lot of um, LGBT people would go um, and remain so to this day. So Norman Mailer, when he was describing Provincetown and what a great place it was, he listed five 
kind of categories or attributions that he thought the town had. And one was freedom, either in a personal way, an artistic way, or a sexual way. And another was mutability in the way that we can change who we are and maybe our outside shows, sorry, our inside shows to the outside or or we can kind of become someone else in that period of time because you're very far removed from the rest of society. A third was tension, meaning there's some type of cultural cultural tension between, you know, people who used to live in the town and people who are coming into the town and also some creative tension. He also talked about the natural beauty of the area unto itself. And then also during the winter time when a large majority of the tourists and visitors leave, he felt like the atmosphere was very haunted, uh, where you could see ghosts and things like that. So I was really intrigued by his interpretation of what the town was and the history of the town. Mm. And so I sought to capture that. Um, and being as if being that he started papers called like the village voice in New York city. And that was a, you know, very big in, in the village and the time of Warhol was around the, Big Shot was a camera that Warhol was a fan of and he used. And so I started to kind of get into the Polaroid and the pack film and it, it pushed me in that direction. And I thought this was a really great place, not only for artists, but for creatives and people who were looking to express their freedom, their sexual identity. And that still plays into my wanting to explore subculture and explore people who are kind of, um, still on the fringes, but experimenting with their identity and what they're trying to find, essentially. So that's kind of what the new project is about a little bit. It's using his five feelings about the town, and hopefully I can express that same um, emotion. So That is one of the most amazing explanations of work I've ever heard in almost (laughs) one breath. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. No, it's really beautiful. You really, you really made, like, you really have been thinking about it and you made all the connections. And the Instagram account is actually called Wild West of the East, all one word. Um, and you've, I mean, it's brand new. You can tell, right? There's, there's six or seven posts. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just starting out. So definitely check that out. I think it's, it's going to be fascinating. One of the things we were talking about uh, in this episode is how you would handle the Polaroids from the physical to the digital world. So what did you decide to do to, in order to share them? So while I was shooting, I shot all last summer just to see what, what would happen, what would come from it. And what's funny is that when you're shooting on the street and you have a pack film, you peel away the print and you're left with the negative, but the negative is still wet. Mm. So what do you do with it when it's 85 or 90 degrees outside and it's going to take forever to dry and there's sand blowing on top of oh, it wow. and, and your and your print and you're trying to store them while you're walking down the street. It's not like you really can lay them down on a table and wait for them to dry. So um, it was a little bit of a challenge that I had to figure out. But eventually I, when I, I had a book and I would wait for them to dry and I'd press them together with a specific type of paper so it wouldn't stick and um I ended up getting a scanner so I could scan them in and make digital versions of them. And then I would hold the print next to the digital version and make a printout to see if I could get it to match as much as I possibly could. And so far, I think it's it's holding true. So um, I'm excited about it. When you see it on a small platform like Instagram, you can't really tell that it's an actual 
you know, little Polaroid print unless you know Polaroid very well, because right. most people would expect a square, right. you know, that looks fuzzy, but they're actually pr- quite beautiful prints. And um, another, another question I've been getting is why, how come they're not black and white? We're so used to seeing black <laughs> and white pictures from you, you know, uh, images, but Provincetown is a colorful place. It, if you, if you make portraits in black and white there, I think you're missing the boat mm. in a really big way. Um, and as you can see, as you as you'll start to see more and more of these uh, Polaroids pop up, um, they're just extremely colorful, and you can see how they just they cannot be black and white. So. Oh, it's, no, they're 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 really something to look at. And the the real tell of the Polaroid is that white border. Uh, if anyone has has ever seen a Polaroid, you'll recognize that right away. Yep. Oh, so this is great, and congratulations, um, and I'm excited to see this project and where it goes. So, yeah, thanks for uh, calling in and catching us up. Uh, you're always working. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. So uh, enjoy the show, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon. And thanks for calling in. I'll talk to you soon. You got it. All yeah. right, bye. Bye, thank you. architectural photography out of Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. And ironically, I was visiting a friend in Miami. We went to Art Basel just to check it out. And he he had a stall set up. (laughs) And uh, I was like, oh, here's my space. And then um, I think, uh, I don't know how short after that, Mm-hmm. Um, the the CNN Lens blog or whatever they call it picked picked up the project, and with CN- Lost and Found, you Lost mean? Lost and or? Found, yeah. yeah. Okay. And with um, that was really the first ex- major exposure, and then right. with that SEO that gets attached, it went oh, to yeah. all of Turner Broadcast affiliates. Oh wow! And um, it sunk his website oh, no. to non-existence, <laughs> and he was not uh, not happy. Oh, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Well, my, my issue used to be there was like a, there was like a Mike Dalton band and a Michael Dalton wedding photographer. Uh, and, yeah. So it's but, tough. Yeah. Yeah. So but it actually the Chauvin Dalton helps now if you nobody has that name, but yeah. my uh, wife and children. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I had for my website, I had to make up instead of photography, I called it photographic. I saw that. Yeah. Yes. I had to make some other non real yep. like, version of photography. Yeah. So that it would pop up. And it, it's so bizarre. <laughs> So uh, you are in you were in town for a talk at uh, Daniel Cooney Fine Art Gallery for your show Lost and Found, and the talk was yesterday, right? The talk was yesterday. How did it yes. go? Uh, the talk went really well, actually. Um, it was led by Richard Rinaldi, who I've known for a while. We've kind of crossed paths uh, throughout the formation of this project, and so he was the perfect person to do you know the interview and the conversation because he was there from you know a lot of the beginning portions and really through the end and had helped give me some guidance in certain directions so uh he was very familiar with that and he he had some in-depth questions and they were uh they were good (laughs) and i had no idea what what was coming so oh okay yeah i I had no preview so it was good we had a nice um standing room audience so well what was his sort of um take where was he coming from in terms of looking at the work and talking about the work and um he was coming from a perspective of um really getting behind the skin of the 
topic and of the the subjects themselves and um you know of course he's a street portrait photographer as well and talking a little bit about shooting on the street and you know what my choices were and how i portrayed the individuals and you know you have a couple choices on the street you can include the environment you can leave it out you can oh yeah make it monochromatic you can you know mm-hmm. you can include words there's so you know where i was coming from with that and and so that was part of it and then he delved into the you know why how does this this project relate to you personally that's it right i think that's probably the question most people think about like so how you know how do you what what's your first sort of uh, moment where you realize you're interested in this work and you know is it is it a story about meeting someone is it a story about someone in your life um, well, actually, you know, it was a spinoff of a different project that I was trying to feel out, feel out. and ironically... Um, was that Home? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. You had a... Uh, it was called Close Strangers. Close Strangers, yeah. yes, Close Strangers. So I was really just trying to, um, you know, it had reached a point, and I think everyone kind of reaches a point in life where you realize there's a, a certain circle of friends that you're, in, you know, involved with and family you're involved with and maybe an area that you live in and then you kind of get stuck in that um, community and as a result of that you don't really get to meet people that are unlike yourself versus being a little bit younger where you're you know thrown out into the world a little bit more and have the experience of maybe traveling a little bit more um, and and seeing more of either the United States or the world in general so um, I kind of felt a little uh a little of that and right. wanted to get out. And um, I said to an instructor at the time, I said, you know, I want to learn everything. I want to learn everything about studio portraiture, but I want to do it on the street. And so oh, uh, interesting. That, that was really the challenge to myself. <laughs> That's actually a great way to describe your work too, right? Yeah. 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 So a lot of people get confused because they, they think it's taken <laughs> in, in studio. A, in studio yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that it probably came from studying light and studio lighting and um, people always ask, do I have reflectors? Do I have flash? And the answer is no. Mm. Um, I'm using walls and tight corridors and uh, doorways and things that I can, whatever I can to bounce light. And, and backdrops that, um, uh, that are just out of focus. The part, the, yeah. yeah, the backdrops are walls. They're yeah. um, doorways. They're really whatever I can find. And, you know, sometimes it's more challenging than others. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> especially in Union Square right around here. Um, right. <laughs> uh, it, it's a little tough. And some, like I was in San Francisco um, on Haight-Ashbury area, and that, that was really tough because there was so much graffiti and writing. Oh. And I was okay. trying to find something a little bit um, blank. Right. Yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit then. Where did you study? You're from Boston, right? Uh, I'm from Boston, mm-hmm. right. And so I didn't um, study a course of photography in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. um, you have but, a BA, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, my degree from from college was from the University of Pennsylvania, and that was in communication and journalism, and with a concentration in communication and culture. So, oh wow, that yeah. kind of really yeah resonates backwards. You mm-hmm. know, when you look at what my interests are. Yeah, and communication. Communication, right. And after that, um, and pursued a more professional type career and then decided I wanted to, uh, let me backtrack. I did a fine art minor. I had done art art my whole life. What kind of art? You know, ironically, um, it was a lot of figure sculpture, uh, drawing, computer graphics, things Mm. like that. But the photography was really the last 
part that I never, I never explored. And so I started going to the New England School of Photography and taking every class I possibly could to the point where the instructor said, this is the fifth You're time, done. You, this is the fifth time <laughs> you've taken my class. It's time you start going elsewhere to, <laughs> to seek out some more education. And so ironically, uh, when I threw myself out to uh, find strangers to take portraits of, you know, I'd go to New Orleans and Portland, Maine, and um, some places accessible, some places traveling to. I wanted to meet different types of people, you know, psychics, um, church greeters, uh, some, like there's a male prostitute that I met on the street, had an interesting conversation with, and didn't know that that's, you know, what he had done, but he seemed a little frantic and had everything on him. And mm. so there's always stories and people that you see on the street move, coming and going. And that was my foray into meeting, you know, different types of people. So it, within that, I searched out people like Richard Rinaldi, who was doing something similar, who I could kind of learn a little bit from and add to, you know, my, you know, how did, how was he working and how was I working and, and what could I take from that? So, um, moving forward with lost and found that project, I was in Las Vegas and I saw someone standing on the side of the road and I was with my friends and they knew that at that point I was crazy and would <laughs> approach people who I were absolute random strangers and ask them to take, uh, you know, make a photograph. And there's a guy with an anchor tattoo on his face who had this specific look. And you, in photography, when you see something, especially street photography, which I also do and am a, a huge fan of because right. it teaches you a lot mm -hmm. about how to work very quickly and how to be, you know, super spontaneous and catch things and very also how to negotiate with people in a different way right yeah yeah, yeah. so i saw him and, I, and whenever something catches your eye for some reason it's how you have that gut instinct of i really need to do this and so i hopped out of the cab i sent my friends on their way um and made a portrait of this um gentleman who you know had that anchor tattoo i never got his name i was feeling out the project we shook hands. He went on his way. I went on my way. And it wasn't. You, you call him Knuckles. Knuckles. And, yeah. That's right. Um, so he went by Knuckles, but I didn't really even know that at the oh, time. Oh, okay. Right. Um, it wasn't until I got home and looked at the photograph on the screen that it had that presence. And I said, oh, God, you know, this is a photograph. And I have no way of contacting this person <laughs> whatsoever. They're out and about. And, and um, I continued to work on that Close Strangers project moving up into Portland, Maine, and was had a kind of a, a little portfolio on my phone that I would show people, hey, this is kind of what I'm looking for and what I'm doing. I mean, it just gives people more of a context of, of what the work was going to look like. And I ran into a gentleman who, when he when I flipped through, he saw the picture of Knuckles and said, oh, I know, I know who that is. Oh, and wow. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> You know, I, I honestly didn't believe him. And he said, you know how I know who that is? If, if he turns his face to the opposite way, there's going to be a tattoo of an upside down cross on the other cheek. And he was absolutely right. Wow. It's like, that's insane. And I, I said, well, do you have any way of contacting him? How do I know? And he gave me what his handle was on Facebook, but we, I couldn't find it. Um, later on, I found out it was because the name that he gave me was all squished together with no spaces, oh. which is why I was never able to find it. Huh. Uh, ironically, I was down in New Orleans working on the project as well. And towards the end of the day of shooting, 
the light was going down. There were there was a couple there. They saw I had a camera, and he said, "Hey, why don't you photograph me?" And um, there's kind of two ways to look at that. One was the light was going down, and I don't know if this is going to work. The other is, well, when someone gives you the opportunity, you you take it. It could yeah. be it could be practice, you know, in some ways of like, how do I work with this? And the light is low, and oh, yeah. let's see how far I can push my camera. Whatever it happens to be, you're getting an uh, an opportunity. And you don't know if that's going to be someone who just wants to show you something, you know, like put, you know, act a certain way or be, you know, in front of the camera, be someone in front of the camera. And sometimes there you don't get that sort of collaborative cooperation when someone says, hey, take my picture. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So he was very kind and I was he was much taller than I was. And they uh, it was him and his girlfriend and they they had their packs, these big backpacks that they travel with and they stack them one on top of another so I could get on top of that. And you know, who puts their belongings down so you can step on? I them, know literally. that's wild. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I got up there and I pumped up that the ISO and <laughs> I got pump, pumping it up and praying. So I, you know, <laughs> and I prayed and um, I, I did get a nice shot and I used the street lamp, which was at a 45 degree angle. And then I turned him to get the light just to fall like, you know, the portrait butterfly, mm-hmm. harsh lighting. It's the only night photo that I have. Oh, and people think that I'm using a hard flash, but you, the reality oh, yeah, is it's, it, it, it's It looks not. like you have artificial lighting in a lot of your photographs. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, not. Yeah. Um, it, it's actually the street lamps, mm-hmm. little reflectors in, in his eyes. So... Uh, when I went through the portfolio again on my phone, he said, oh, I know that guy. Um, his name is Knuckles. And I, and I said, oh, are you kidding me? And he said, yeah, I know. I was just with him. And, and I was like, oh, this is insane. So he said, yeah, his, he has Knuckles tattooed across his knuckles. Did you see that? And I said, I didn't. And when I got home, I looked through all of the other photographs that I'd taken because they weren't all close. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I could zoom in and read uh, read that right across. So when you're doing this, this is still uh, close, uh, close strangers, the idea? It, it was, it okay. was. And then it got to the point where... Back um, in about 2011, I think, right? Yeah, it was 2011, yeah. 12, 13. Um, I was in Austin, Texas. I met a lot of these travelers there. And then I, what happened was I started to learn what the subculture was about. And I s- photographed more and more as I was on the street because I would find them. So this, this person who knew Knuckles, yeah, was that because the person knew about this subculture? He was a traveler. He was a traveler. Yeah. Oh, and so okay. he had, he had traveled with him and knew, oh, okay. knew of him. And as it turned out, he was, Knuckles had been on the road for a long time and he was one of the more well-known travelers period. So it was kind of like the first person that I happened to randomly select was the, was a, mm-hmm. a well-known traveler among the community. Wow. As it turns out, I was in Chicago three years later riding the L back to the airport. I was there for a birthday celebration. Wasn't there to to make photos. Um, And I had a rangefinder on me to just do regular street photography because it's small and easy. Uh, But I didn't have the camera that I used to make these portraits. And um, they made us stop to get off of the L to go downstairs and board a bus so they could bus us the rest of the way because they were doing track work. You know how everyone Mm -hmm. hates when you're on the subway and they make you get off to go out on a bus and you think, oh, I'm going to be late or I'm never going to make it. Right. And I come around and there are two travelers sitting down and uh, there there is a traveler with an anchor tattoo (laughs) on his face. And I I almost couldn't believe it. it, You have to, I mean, the chances of (laughs) running into one person twice in the country, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I think I was on that plane ride home just staring 
staring at the seat in front of me, stunned. Right. And we did take a... Do you believe in signs and uh, being pointed in certain directions? (laughs) You know, it's funny. I... I, I never really did. Um, mm-hmm. I've had a couple things happen, but, yeah. um, a, a, you know, a, a couple of people have said to me, you know, what, if you open yourself up to the world, you will find things and th- things will come to you. You just have to be receptive to that Yeah. and, um, and go out there and, and don't push for it and look for it. Just explore it and things will, will, you'll find your way. You that, know? That's good advice. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so as it turns out, we, he saw what the photograph looked like. I finally, three years later, got a release form signed because I was really <laughs> adamant on having those forms just because um, they are so close and it's, it is hard to tell whether it really is on street or not. I can still prove it and you don't really need that. But because they were such personal photographs, I felt like I, I wanted them to know that they might be used or, you know, for um, artistic purposes. And there was an agreement going on that, you know, uh, I was taking this seriously. Right. So uh, ironically, three months later, I was in Times Square doing regular street photography. And um, I saw three travelers walking through Times Square. I tapped one on the shoulder. And then when I started flipping through, they saw the photograph of Knuckles and said, he is in Union Square right now. Holy cow. I hopped on the <laughs> N and the R and I <laughs> went right, right over to Union Square and we ended up spending the whole weekend together. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And that's where I really got a lot more involved in their group because right. I spent time with them and they you know, told me really what everything was about. And, uh, and from there, yeah, that's, that was a large jumping point. So, you know, there's been quite a, quite a bit written now about this group, you know, being transient and hitchhikers and a modern version of hobos and all kinds of things. How sure. do, how do they self-describe? That's a good question. Um, there are a lot of names that people might call them there's crust punk there's dirty kid there's gutter punk which is more of a derogatory version of the name but they prefer the word traveler squatters squatters right right, exactly they uh prefer the word traveler because they're kind of an amalgamation of you know this the same thing historically coming from the 30s and the 50s and the 70s and so it's moved throughout time, and this is modern day, mm-hmm. um, armed with a cell phone, free Wi-Fi, and an intricate network of communication. So mm. I think they see themselves as a second family, a uh, found family, a supportive family. Right. And they're young in, in a way where they are exploring the the world and seeing things for the first time, it's very exciting. It's intoxicating. It's like a drug for them almost. You know, you get on and you're moving to the next place and you end up seeing a city for the first time. You know, imagine coming from a small town where you didn't fit in quite so much and, and or you came from a family that didn't accept who you were or wanted to be. And the next thing you know, you know, you're on a train headed and you get out and you're in the middle of New York City and all you're used to seeing is photographs of it yeah and, you know so it's it's overwhelming you know mm-hmm. to, to have all of these new experiences and every every time you get on a train or hitchhike or get in someone's van and and go somewhere else it's completely new all over again and there's just in the united states almost endless versions of that to a point right, right. so oh right there was a you're familiar with the show baskets 
I'm not. No. Okay, so it's 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 a it's a comedy show and uh, about a, a a failed clown basically. Right? <laughs> okay, it's it's Zach Galifianakis. Oh and, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, the only reason I bring it up is I they did a comedy parody you know a, a episode that had these people who just jumped from train to train and they. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of crime and a little bit of drugs and a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, figuring out, uh, their every day and being chased and things like that. And, you know, of course that's TV and that's the, the parody of it, but how much of their lives is, how much of a dangerous element is there? And then how much is there that, you know, that like they've got it figured out. It is very dangerous depending mm-hmm. on how you want to travel. Mm-hmm. So, um, there are plenty of stories of uh, travelers who have lost arms and legs um, hopping on on and off trains and they look like they're moving slow but then they're gigantic when you get up to it what's moving at 40 miles oh, an yeah. hour you know <laughs> that thing is not stopping yeah TV you know, doesn't just do justice to what it's like to jump on a train I'm sure yeah right? <laughs> um, there's I think there's a, a rule where if you can count if you're running alongside it and you can count the step three steps up then it's safe to, to jump on if you can't visually count it with your eyes then it's moving too fast so Mm. there's another concept where you can ride what's called suicide which means it's a a train car that actually has no floor and it has two beams that go in a diagonal x pattern you know a cross pattern um and you can ride in the corner you can sit in the corner with your legs on that beam Mm. but um you better not fall asleep or you're falling through the track and that has happened to people or people get up on the top of the train uh, and get thrown from it or get in fights or uh-huh. whatever, what have you. So there's tons of stories of that. And there's a, there is abs- an absolute dangerous element to it. But then there are people who are very wise about it. Um, they choose, you know, what, what train they're going to ride. They, they are methodical about where it's going so they don't get lost. However, you never know. Sometimes yeah. it, it does head the wrong direction or it it connects and disconnects and you end up heading north and the mm-hmm. person the person who's on the other train you know in the other car way further much further back it uncouples and you're separated <laughs> wow uh you know and <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. just have to roll with the punches so oh wow um so there's there's lots of those stories out there a lot of people are really into the train thing and so they've got it figured out pretty good but yeah. the, the problem too is there's Railway cops, they call them bulls. And even if you do research going all the way back into the hobo era, they call them bulls. Mm. And uh, they still do. But then there are some train uh, conductors that feel like if they have travelers or riders on their train, that it's good luck for them. Oh, wow. So they'll feed them. They'll give them something. Um, it's part of the very old, deep history of of Traveler of train jumping, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, the in the hobo dust bowl era, the parents sent their kids out to find work, and that's how they got around because they had no money and it was free. So that's wild. Yeah. Do um, have any of your uh, travelers and your photographs shown up at the at your shows, at your talks, anything like that? I mean, is there any? Have you seen? Have you run into any of them at your uh, when you've been showing work or talking about the work? Um, I have, I have not specifically, there is one traveler who his portrait was hanging on the wall in a a gallery in Philadelphia and he happened to be going through Philadelphia and I directed him to the gallery and he did show up wearing exactly what was in the photograph, (laughs) took a photograph next to the photograph and Uh the, um, the attend gallery attendant or Mm -hmm. whoever was sitting there, uh, was, I got a message, private message from her that she was 
shocked when someone walked in who was hanging in front of her oh, wow. and she had been staring at his face for <laughs> a long period of time because at the time he looked very much the same. Right. <laughs> so it's like co- someone coming to life. Yes. Um, but for the most part, um, it doesn't line up typically like where they are and where your shows are. Or... Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll direct them. I'll let them know, Hey, this, you know, your photograph is in this show, but they're moving and I don't really know if they would care to see it. Per well, se. That's, that, and so that, that of course leads me to the other question. It's it clear in the photographs, they're very willing participants in what you're doing and you sure. have, you appear to have a, a good rapport with them Yes, as, and all. Uh, but what about in terms of like your responsibility to them, you know, as people and, and as people who are you're showing in your work, right? Like, have you what kind of consideration, what kind of thoughts have you? There's exploitation, which Martin Bell will say, you know, um, every every photograph is an exploitation right. of something. It's what happens afterwards, right? Sure. Yeah. So you know, th- when I first started with this, I happened. I have to say, I was along for the ride. It was just as exciting for me as it was for any new traveler who was hitting hitting the road, because I was traveling as well. I wasn't riding trains, but I was, you know, hearing the stories and learning about the subculture, and and it's a little bit romantic and invigorating, and and I fell hard for it, you know, <laughs> and and I was extremely interested in everything that they had to say, and I still am. But what happens is when you start photographing people, they're real people. You're not just making a photograph and running away. Yeah. You know, when you start to get in, involved with a specific group, you have to establish trust with that group. And so I felt like my goal was to portray who these people were as human beings rather than you know, show them having an amazing time on the train or the worst possible time um, on the street. It was somewhere in between. So that was really one of my goals, uh, whether I knew it or not at the time. So you're not promoting the romance, not, nor are you condemning the lifestyle, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some really tough parts about being out on the street, um, but there are also some really rewarding parts about that as well. Like if you can come out on the other end and and get out, off of the road and re-enter society, I think you've probably learned a lot of things that mm-hmm. most people will never have to experience and, and gain a lot of strength from that. So I, I almost commend them for having having that strength to do that. There came a part to the project where I would meet travelers you know, a year later, two years later, three years later, and re-photograph them and see that, you know, they were either doing very well or they weren't. Um, there's a lot of substance abuse, um, you know, depression, anxiety, mental illness. Um, there's, there's a lot of negative things, but I also would kind of pair that with, think about, you know, someone going to college for the first time who's never had a drink and then they... Exploding, Yeah, they're exploding. And it's almost a very similar thing. They're leaving home and experiencing Mm -hmm. all this freedom for the first time. And in in some ways, that's great. There are travelers who do not want that experience and they stay away. And there are some that fully engage and Mm -hmm. end up with some problems. Um, So there was a, a, a couple instances. There was one traveler in particular who... I photographed twice. He got off of the road for a while. We kept in touch. I his I got to know his his mother a little bit just via social media and interactions with her that way. And he p- passed away. He mm. ended up being cremated. And then 
she said, I know you're heading down to New Orleans for, uh, you know, for, for this specific period in time. Uh, would you mind sprinkling some of his ashes in the Mississippi oh, River? Wow. And I kind of forgot about it a little bit. And then about a month later, I open up my mailbox oh. and there's a package sitting there and I'm just staring at it. And here is the ashes of the person that I knew and photographed. Mm multiple times and was also ex extremely well known within the traveling community and then you start to realize that you know this this is real this isn't a joke and it's not i never took it that way but yeah it's not a movie it's right. not, yeah it it, right. be, it it had so many other attachments and it became serious and that that's when the the project became a little bit harder you you, know, you lose that romanticism because the reality slaps you in the face a little bit mm -hmm. And so uh, what I decided to do with the help of some of the other travelers is have a memorial for him. And um, alongside some of the other travelers, we had a, or organized an event. And a large number of people showed up. It was at least 40 mm. travelers showed up. It traveled from all over the country to honor this one traveler. Wow. And I had my package of uh, from his mother mm -hmm. and two other people had a package as well. Oh, and she had sent it to several people. Several. Oh. Yeah. She divided it up and we opened, we all opened up the, um, the envelopes together. Wow. And inside of it was the internal portion of what was gold glitter. And it was a super bright day in New Orleans that day. And mm. it was just like shining in your face. And it was just a moment. And the people, one in particular who, who was almost his best friend just was in t absolute tears. Mm. And, you know, we had a, a picnic, there was a kind of a processional and it was, it was really amazing. You know, it was, a, it was a, a tribute to this person's life in such a dignified way and in a way that the travelers would want it to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, some of the ashes got distributed to different travelers who had little lockets and little, little sample went here. And so he ended up really going back into the community in a way. And then some of them would mix the ashes in, with ink, India ink, and then give themselves stick and poke tattoos with the ashes of the traveler in hmm. them. So he literally became part of them and then would go out on the road. So he still continued to travel in that kind of, in that way. Wow. So yeah, it, it, that whole reality of it. Um, I have one other story that, that's in that same vein, which is Knuckles, the original traveler that I had met, when I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, there's a place there called the Light Factory, and I was in, I was in one of their shows, and they invited me to give a talk about this project, and then I was giving a, a very small workshop about you know photographing on the street and working with uh, strangers, and you know how to how how do you negotiate that? Mm. Um, from my perspective, you know everyone has their own way. Oh yeah. And sitting in the back of the audience was Knuckles' mother. Oh. Wow. And as it turned out, they lived about maybe a 15 to 20 minute drive from where I was giving that talk. I had been in contact with Knuckles previously and he had settled down and was training to become an electrician and he was off the road. He got his passport and he told me that when you get here, I'm going to be gone. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm traveling the rest of the world. I can't do it. And, oh, and that's wow. what he did. He left and he was gone. He just left. Huh. Yeah. But I did get to meet his family and I was over their house for dinner and met all of the people that he had always talked about um, yeah. and heard the other side of the story. Maybe that's the lesser known, more surprising part of it is that you're, you meet their parents, right? Like you don't think, you don't think there's still a connection, but there's still a connection to home for some of these travelers. There is, there absolutely is. 
in their case, the parents had a, hard, a really hard time grappling with why their child would do this in the first place. And then the child was kind of pushed away from the family a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an honor society student, a black belt in martial arts. Wow. I saw all of the photos. It's like when they bring out the photo, the photo the album, family album, the family yeah, album. Yeah, here's yeah. here it is, uh, which was fascinating and wonderful at the same time. And his parents were just the best. I mean, they were extremely nice and very generous and polite, and um, they wanted to know everything that I knew and learn more. Hmm. Um, it's not all just broken home stories. It isn't. It right. really isn't. Yeah. I think it was internally knuckles just wasn't cut out to live the way that most people live. Mm. So in that instance, you know, think about meeting someone on the side of the road, just shaking their hand, photographing them, and then all of these years later having dinner in their parents' home. Yeah. It, is, um, <laughs> it, it boggles my mind sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, you can't make that up. <laughs> it's crazy. And, you know, how would you sort of um, describe your own upbringing? Squarely middle class? Uh, squarely middle class. I grew up right outside of New York City in the suburbs of New Jersey. Oh, where? Uh, a town named West Caldwell. Oh, yeah. I live in Rutherford. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And West Caldwell's a, a great town. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's very middle class. Um, and yeah. I I had great access to New York City. And my father um, works in advertising. And still, he, or? still, actually, yeah, mm. he is. He loves to work, and he he, <laughs> you know, was working in the height of print media. Mm-hmm. And now that everything's become digital media or new media, um, when there's a demand for print media. No one learns that anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's right. He has kind of this niche that's going right. on. Um, but he we need something. We need something printed. Right? Printed like what's a four color press? <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, people don't realize when you photograph, some colors are out of gamut, out of right. range of what a four color press can do. You know, so um, that's funny. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> so we grew up coming in and out of New York City all the time, going to the MoMA and the Met and seeing theater plays. You know, they were very adamant on me. They were connect. They wanted you to be connected to a city, to New York. Yeah, absolutely. We do the same with our kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yep. and we would see all of the characters for you know Forty Second Street yep. and the whole nine yards because <laughs> it was very different back then and. Um, you know, you realize that there's a world other than waiting for the bus stop to take you, you know, for the bus <laughs> to take you to school. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of my upbringing. And, um, yeah. So now, you know, you're, you have this whole experience with the travelers and their families and not only, not only, you know, the photographs getting recognized, but you're in a, a New York city gallery showing their work. Sure. Right? Do you have a little bit of, um, sort of a cultural shift in your head? Like, how do I, how do I experience this, and, and and how does it relate to the experience I just had with people, right? With the people in the photographs. Sure. I don't know. I, I it was never really my goal to to have that happen. Uh, I I got involved in the project because I was personally involved in the project, and I was enjoying what I was doing. And, and I'm, I'm not criticizing. Oh, sure, the sure, gallery. sure. You, Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Absolutely. I mean, Sh- yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. It, I'm extremely grateful to have that opportunity and for someone to look at that work and see it as uh, worthy or important. But on the flip side, what that almost does is it elevates in the way that I would always hope to the subject matter to some importance as well, Mm -hmm. um, where, 
you know, now that there are a couple that have been purchased, and one of my favorite ones actually was um, acquired by the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. Wow. And that happening is a way to solidify this culture as being something that's real in American culture. Mm -hmm. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from them. And so having a space where they're all together, even though the portraits are very singular, except for some couples portraits, Mm -hmm. they're all kind of keeping each other company in the same room. And it allows someone to go in and have that experience of having all of these people stare back at you because a lot of them are very front-facing and confrontational on purpose. Um, so it, it's, it feels great to be able to have that experience and share that. Even yeah. though they don't really want to be, quote-unquote, seen, I think they do want to feel valued. Right. And so I think that's kind of where the gallery portion comes in, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you know, um, I, I never want to, obviously, you never want to um, compare anyone's desire to seek people outside their own kind of... Um, their own kind of world, their own kind of uh, upbringing, or, or you know what? Actually, I can't even say that because it, it sounds like the way when you're describing the travelers, they they may come from all kinds of backgrounds, right? There is there's no like, you know, we were poor all the time, or I needed to get away. I mean, it sounds like they could have come from any socioeconomic background and experience and all that, and so th- there's probably a number of them that match yours, right? Uh, uh, there yeah. are um, because Knuckles was someone who came from a yeah. very middle class, mm-hmm. um, church going police officer, yeah. you know, fam- like very upstanding family within the community. Yeah. So um, you're not, you're not seeking people in the way Diane Arbus sought people who were so different from herself in many ways. Right. But do you see something almost psychologically in your own sort of makeup, your own, uh, who you are that draw that, that you feel drawn to people who are now more on the fringes of mainstream? I do in a way that, um, you know, I describe it that when when you travel and you're traveling by yourself, it's a very different experience when you're, quote unquote, on vacation and you're traveling with a loved one or a family member or whatever yeah. it happens to be, and especially when you've, you're armed with a camera. Because when you're armed with a camera, you're looking and yeah. you're observing yeah. and you are... You're almost working. You're, yeah. you're on a job. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you are, you're there, but you, you're senses are so much more heightened because you're you're looking at the details and the the architecture and the people that are passing by and if you were with someone and you were headed to a tourist area you would just kind of be walking to get to that area and then you wouldn't really be fully in emerged in that experience right. and so some people have seen me photograph and they say, you know, I saw, I saw you on the street. You, you were like a different person. <laughs> yes. And, uh, I've heard this from three different Whoa, people yeah. and I don't, you know, I don't see it, but yeah. I, I can believe it because oh, yeah. I had a very similar experience that someone couldn't believe that was me because there was something like almost heightened aggressiveness, almost like a, just a, a kind of a, a non-congenial focus that I must've had or something. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, just yeah. this, they felt like I was in some other world Mm -hmm. and the reality is I kind of am you know and I'm there doing what is making me happy and what I love to do and and with the travelers they're doing the same thing they're traveling sometimes alone because they just want the experience of really taking in that taking in the world so 
So that's kind of really where that commonality is. Like they're traveling in and getting a huge rush by mm-hmm. experiencing new places and meeting new people. And I'm essentially doing the same thing, just in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So your father was in advertising. Uh, did you grow up with a mother and a father? or Yes, my yes? mother was an English teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah. And New Jersey? In New Jersey. A public school or college? or uh, Public school, oh. yeah. Did you go to that school? I didn't. She ended up retiring when she had both myself and, and, oh. my, and my sister. Mm-hmm. So um, she raised us, and then she went back to doing a little bit of teaching afterwards. Oh, um, okay. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I have the artistic side on, on one side and then the yeah, yeah, English yeah. writing side on the other. Right. So it's a nice combination <laughs> of influences. Absolutely. So how did you end up in Boston then? I ended up in Boston because I had graduated from college and in I'm Pennsylvania, mo- right? Where, where? Uh, University of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. in Philadelphia. And then I moved up to pursue some, you know, other education and, um, and kind of found myself engaged at the New England School of Photography. And, then, mm-hmm. and I've been in Boston, you know, for a long time since then. Oh, so, you have? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you consider that home now. I do. It's a yeah. great city because... You know, New York is amazing uh, ob- for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> it, it can be a bit overwhelming at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, there's yeah. so many choice. I, I think I could probably find something to do every night of the week, right. every minute of the day, and that's my personality anyway. So, Boston but, doesn't feel like a place that's just always running, right? It's not. In the same way. It right. is during the day, but it's not at night. It right. really just calm down and offer you that ability to kind of peace out for a little yeah. bit. <laughs> did, did you like Philly when you were there? Um, I did um, for various reasons. Um, one was I was a lot younger at the time, but it exposed me to a lot more diversity than I was really used to. Mm-hmm. It's an extremely diverse city and there are really great neighborhoods there. Uh, I was there at a time where South Street was really at its height. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. since I've been back, it really isn't the same as what it used to be. But you know, I guess it was maybe commercialized then, but it was also a little gritty and right. had a little like uh, little exploration to do there. <laughs> um, and and um, you know, it, it's an easy city to to learn and to see. They have a great art museum there. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a lot of history. It's very doable. You yeah, know, you can see a lot. So, um, is there a, also now the, an idea of a book for this work as well? So that's a great question because um, <laughs> I get asked that all the time. I would love to make a book out of this because, you know, I used to think that books in some way validated your work, but I slowly realized that that what really is not the case at all. <laughs> there's there's only one real validation of your work and it's all in your head. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, you know, I had people say, what, what, what you're doing is, a, is absolutely insane, um, but I loved it. So it yeah. was, it was, that's enough for me. And I was on the journey and, and, and learning so much. So mm-hmm. the reason that, I felt a book was important it was because I met a lot of travelers who had stopped traveling. One in particular who traveled in the 90s, and she said, you know, I, I'm really glad you're doing this because I what you're creating is almost like a yearbook. It's a, it's, it's a record of what was happening or what is happening and, and the people. And right. I, don't, I, I don't know who the, where these people are anymore. And I wish I had images of what we looked like then mm. that I could flip through and, and remember. Not only that, but I was taking like a documentary master class um, through uh, something called the Social Document- Documentary Network. Hmm. And 
that really pushed me to learn the stories and get the information a little bit more. I, I recorded a lot of audio and started to get more background history so I could include a little bit of story along with the photograph. And I was playing around with the idea, like, is the photograph enough on, on, on its own or is it, are people really responsive to understanding the story? And as I asked the travelers to write, I had certain questions. I would Some of the responses I would get back were like, almost like poetry. It was mm. really beautiful. Mm. And I, I, I thought, this is, I think this is important. And, you know, it's, a, it's a, hard, a hard thing to say, well, is it just photography? Do you add writing to it? Yes or no? And I think in some ways it, it is a good thing. And yeah. it allow, it just unwraps you know, more layers of the story and, and, and gives you more to think about. So it lends itself to being a book. I have plenty for that. Right. Um, and I feel like I need to be able to hold on to everything, not look at it on Instagram, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with <laughs> tiny little pictures, which oh, is great. Yeah. It, um, it's a nice way to, to share work. It's a terrible way to really look at work, right? <laughs> right. So I want to create something that people, especially parents of travelers and travelers who have stopped riding can have because they might not be able to, they might not want to purchase a print of the work um, they could get a book maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a, yeah. a book, you know, Instagram is extremely affordable because everyone can look through it, but yeah. seeing something in print is not necessarily the same as a tiny right. square image. So, <laughs> so that's my goal. And, and I mean, I mean, I, I imagine lost and found has been sort of a, a, you're, you know, consuming all your time and, and energy. Uh, what other things are you working on? So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to, I, I, I like the concept of, you know, getting beneath the layers, getting beneath the, the 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 skin of someone, and really with portraiture, you know, street photography is great because you can juxtapose things and you can catch people in moments that yeah. reveal their humanity. But um, the really kind of being up close became a little bit of what I was interested in more so. And when Polaroid started to come out, they had their their film again and their cameras again. I said ah, I should probably experiment with this because I. Grew oh, what up- do you shoot with? Now what do I yeah, shoot? Yeah, what with? do you yeah. Oh, I shoot Is it with, all digital? It's digital. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. digital. Um but I really li- loved the look of 4x5 or 8x10 mm-hmm. and so that's people are kind of confused cuz it's very shallow depth of field when you see the prints in person and um that's really what I like to look at so mm-hmm. that's what I like to make. I mean it, just, <laughs> it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to think back and I wanted to limit myself to how much how many frames I could take and I wanted to make each photograph count. It started to feel like I could really fire off, you know, tons and tons of photographs. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to kind of challenge myself a little bit. So I started working with Polaroid a little bit mm. and experimenting with this type of Polaroid camera and that type of Polaroid camera. And then I found myself attracted to the the big shot which is, oh, wow. yeah. And of course it's a camera that it's hard to find a working one. Um, I found, I think I bought five and came out with one and another one as a backup. Uh-huh. Um, did you consider the, the old four by five Polaroid back in a four by five camera? Those were something to work with. You, yeah. You would lose like every third photo <laughs> through, through the process or mechanical failure. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, 
being in Boston, I'm so close to Provincetown, Massachusetts. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's not a, Provincetown, but yeah, 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 it's a it's a really magical place, and a lot of photographers have photographed there. Joel Myrowitz and mm. a lot of artists go there, and that's what it was known as being. You know, in right from, Cape Light and all that. And, yeah, Cape yeah, Light yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. and it does have this time of day where the light is just really amazing. Um, but there's a there's a magic quality that to that space in that town, and what it does is it allows it it, it strips people away from their normal surroundings mm. and envelops them in this natural surrounding, and then there's a freedom there that I feel a lot of people they get there and they kind of change a little bit and. I wanted to capture that in a certain way. I found some writings about it, and I started to key into those writings and start to think about what else I would want to do. So um, a friend of mine who's also a photographer um, was there around the same time, and I I had my pack film ready to go, and (laughs) he shot lots of... He shot enormous amounts of pack film, and um, there I was, and I sourced out all of the old flash cubes and oh yeah you know people were just like what are you what is that (laughs) um but i had the opportunity to make a lot of those photographs and just experiment with it it was color it was instantaneous i could you know peel it away i'm working with parades going by and costumes and (laughs) that's wild and i had a rule once you know i don't want to shoot anyone in costume Uh uh-huh because that's not who the real person is. But actually, mm, I don't know. <laughs> so that's a little bit about where where I'm going now. And it, it's just an exploration at this point. But I have yeah. some some ideas. And it's still within subculture, search for yeah. you know, self, freedom, mm-hmm. all of those things kind of wrap themselves around that yeah. town. Does it actually take like the the magic cubes or does it take like a the the flash that are stacked? For multiple flashes? It takes the magic cubes. Oh, wow. So I get four <laughs> flashes out of the cube, and yeah. um, and I get 10 pieces of film per pack. Sure. And I've stockpiled it to, yeah. to try and... Um, and it's, it's peel-apart film, right? It's peel, peel, yeah, yeah. yeah, pull and peel. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, People are excited by it, and um, it's funny because they take a picture of the picture with their iPhone, you know? <laughs> of course. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it becomes yeah. instantaneously digital. <laughs> um, oh, but we'll see great. where that goes. It's and just an experimentation. And it's, I'm trying to remember the big shot is kind of long, right? It's, it's very long. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre looking. It's it long is. and yeah. it's extremely inaccurate. <laughs> um, whereas when you look at my regular portraiture, I'm very precise. Right, right. So what you see, see through there is May not, not what you're gonna get does it have like a, a target that flips up or are you looking through a lens what are you looking through you're looking through it's like a rangefinder with it is an okay. e- extremely large parallax oh yeah so <laughs> i'm like okay the top right corner is actually gonna end up over here <laughs> and it is there's magic to that uh-huh. to those those shots because when you peel it away you're nervous you don't yeah. know what's coming out oh yeah with yeah. the digital it's the stakes of film photography it yeah, is yeah. yeah the digital you you're looking in the back and you're adjusting yep. and moving and it, it you know that's, and that's wild. how it goes yeah. oh all right so that'll be that'll be interesting to see and then it'll be interesting to you know figure out how to 
show the work and if you're going to reproduce the work and all kinds of things it's a whole new world yeah, yeah do you awesome. scan it do you make it larger yeah, um, yeah i'm a, a big fan a of copy neg and print it that way yeah right right <laughs> and i don't have time on the street to let those negatives dry oh yeah so oh. it's bizarre because people, you, sh you should hang on to them and bleach them and scan them and right. you know, all these wonderful things with them but i i i'm it's 85 to 90 degrees and yeah. humid and i'm sweating and running around and like i don't have time to Pin no, it to no, a wall and wait for it to dry. So, boy, I, I'm, my friends are going to get on me for this because it's been so long I don't remember. But with, with the with the old black and white, would you get the positive negative? You would store the black and white in a, a bath of a solution, and I'm blanking on which solution it was. That's what, and you know, you'd have to walk around with this container of liquid for your negatives. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you've, uh, have you ever uh, considered teaching or maybe doing workshops and things like that? You, you actually mentioned a workshop you were a part of, or were you teaching a workshop? I, I was asked to do it by the uh, Life Factory in Charlotte. Oh, um, yeah. So I came okay. down. I offered it for free. Mm. Um, I oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't looking to, you know... Um, I was it, I was grateful that they invited me down and were they were paying mm -hmm. for my hotel and my, my accommodations. Wow. Oh, that's nice. and yeah. You know, it gave me a chance to see Charlotte and shoot in Charlotte, which, you know, so, yeah. I, you know, the, the time spent, um, I was in, I've, I was invited by Amy Arbus to give a lecture at the ICP. Oh, fantastic. So I did that for her. Um, we met at a portfolio review. Oh, so the, the DN Arbus uh, connection wasn't so far off. It was yeah. not so far <laughs> off. And she actually is very, she's very wonderful. Um, and, and she, she really challenged me with some questions that I had never thought about before. And I gave a, a talk to a portraiture class and it was kind of the same thing. I had, I was showing slides about, you know, what I was doing and almost like contact sheets, even though you don't have them in digital and showing which photograph worked and how I played with the, the lighting and, oh, that, yeah. you know, and, and how I was coming up with this, with this photograph. And uh, that, I imagine and that must be, students must be pretty fascinated by your ability to, 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 to uh, manipulate the lighting the way you do with existing walls and structures and all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A yeah. black door can go a long way as an <laughs> as <a> absorber. <laughs> right. um, but there was one girl at the light factory afterwards and she was like in tears at the end of this workshop. And I was like, what's, what's, are you okay? And she's like, you don't understand. Like I, I am so, I have so much anxiety over talking to people. I have so much social anxiety in this. I can't believe I actually talked to someone I don't know. That's nice. And I made a photograph. That's, that's a great feeling. And yeah. Yeah. I said, if in the beginning, if you, if you even approach someone and make a photograph, it doesn't even have to be good. That's yeah. step one. Yeah. So yeah. if you, that's, that's already moving in the right direction. If that's this is nice. what you want to do. So, yeah. yeah. I definitely can consider doing that. You enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love yeah. teaching and, and I have not, I always say, you know, there's no, I, I'm not hiding anything from anyone. Oh, right. I gladly show <laughs> no. you, you know, this is what I do. I it, Not keeping the best magic tricks for yourself. No, there's no reason <laughs> to do that. I feel like everyone needs to build and learn off of one another. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm looking through photo books of other people's work and it just, you know, there's there's no sense in that. Yeah, nobody's starting from scratch. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even self-taught means you taught yourself by looking at other work. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, did I miss anything? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't think so. It, it, yeah. It's really what you want to know. And, and uh, <laughs> um, no, this has been great. I mean, uh, people should check out your work at my Michael Joseph Photographics. Is that the web URL of the website? Too? That is right. Yeah, yeah. Dot com. 
And, uh, and, you know, see your impressive resume and everything else. And this work is getting so great attention and it's beautiful to look at. And also, uh, I mean, just really great story as well. So congratulations on all the successes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And on, on Instagram, I, I, I tend to keep that a little bit more in the moment, up to date. Of oh, what's okay. Going on. And then I go back and I kind of update the website. Yeah. What's the uh, handle on Instagram? It's uh, at Michael Joseph Photo. Great. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, thanks for coming in and making the time. I know you're on a pretty busy schedule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whirlwind tour. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Actually, so. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.